0: I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on February 21st, 2023, and I'm joined as usual by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hello, Adam.
1: Hello, Dave. How are you?
0: I'm I'm well. How are you doing?
1: Good. Thank you. I'm excited Good. to be here. We've got a great show lined up today.
0: We, we We have a great show lined up. and and but before we jump into the show, I just have ha- had a, a little something to share with our listeners. Many many people have heard this already. Many many of you have signed up already, uh, which which we really appreciate. we We did something different on the Dave Berta podcast or in the day Berta substack um, uh, last week or the week before we launched a paid subscription, which is something that's a little different for Day Berta, but it's something that will, uh, will help us uh, help us to support the podcast a little bit of the extra stuff we want to do coming up to the election uh, and uh, support the work that Adam I, Adam and I do on the podcast so I just wanted to give a thanks and a shout out to a few of our subscribers who signed on in the past week um, and uh, and yeah give a shout out and, and, and thank you so much for your for your for your support so uh, thank you so much Bruce Peter Barb, Richard Karen Sylvia Joyce Norlane, Scarlett Marg, Blake, Jesse, Pamela, and David, and, uh, and a special thanks to our friends of Dave Berta subscribers in the in special category, uh, Chris, Jackie, and Lee. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much. Uh, it helps Adam and I uh, do what we're doing here in the podcast and helps us do some get ready to do some fun stuff and some interesting extras coming up uh, with the provincial election that's just less than 100 days away. If you're interested in supporting the Dave Berta podcast and the Dave Berta Substack by becoming a paid subscriber, you can sign up at daveberta.substack.com/slash subscribe. It is my distinct pleasure today to welcome uh, a guest to the Dave Berta podcast, who, who many of many of our listeners will be very familiar with. Definitely a, a household name in in Alberta, especially in Calgary. Uh, uh, a name you're very familiar with. He was mayor of Calgary from. 2010 to 2021. Welcome to the Dave Berta podcast, Nahit Nenshi.
2: Thanks so much, Dave. Hello, Adam. Great to be here with you both. Well, thank you so
0: much for joining us. It's a real, it's a real thrill uh, to uh, to have uh, have a legend of Calgary politics on uh, a living legend, I should say on uh, on join us on the podcast to talk about uh, about Alberta politics and specifically Calgary. Adam and I were talking before before the podcast that you know we're we're two Edmontonians. Who talk a lot about Calgary, especially in the context of the upcoming provincial election, because everybody's talking about Calgary. Because if we're going to have a change of government in Alberta, uh, you know, the route to, well, the route to Rachel Notley becoming premier or the route to Daniel Smith winning a big majority uh, is going to go straight through Cal- uh, Calgary, Alberta's largest city. So I guess before we ju- jump into uh, Alberta politics and Canadian politics, I was hoping you could share a little bit with our listeners about what you've been up to since you. You left the mayor's office
2: in 2021. Uh, I've been enjoying 14 months of pretty much retirement. Uh, I left uh, my office with three lists on my phone. One was TV shows and movies to catch up on for the last decade. The second was books to read. And the third was repairs to do around my house. I have done none of those things. (laughs) Um, And I'm shocked at how quickly the time has been passing. I mean, I'm enjoying myself. I've been doing a little bit of punditry, uh, You can catch me on CBC's Power and Politics every week, Wednesdays at 4.45 p.m. Mountain. Um, You can catch me and my former colleague, Jeremy Farkas, talking Alberta politics on the CBC Calgary Eye Opener every second Friday morning, 10 a.m. See, I can at least remember these times, (laughs) Um, but doing a bit of writing, a bit of speaking, uh, and generally just making a fool of myself and uh, trying to enjoy the city that we built together and get out to lots of art stuff and try and be a good Calgarian.
1: Do you have, do you have any recommendations on shows and movies that, that listeners need to watch if they haven't?
2: No, well, I think you missed the point where I said I haven't done it yet. <laughs> um, I will tell you that uh, I've really been enjoying the last of us, uh, not just because I'm trying to find all the other locations that it's been filmed, but it's hard to watch. I need to sort of psych myself up to watch it because it's sad and difficult, but uh You know, I was at the premiere at the Jubilee Auditorium in Calgary, and it was a wonderful moment because it felt like a lot of the work we've been doing to build the film sector over the last many decades has just come together in a magical way. And I expect that film and TV will become a big part of the Alberta economy uh, going forward, an even bigger part of the Alberta economy. And it's a funny thing, too, because former, to the point of the Dave Berta podcast, former Minister Doug Schweitzer was there at the premiere and they made a little bit of a mistake because it wasn't really the premiere it had already premiered on hbo but it was sort of a thank you event for the folks who worked on the show but also frankly a thank you event for the provincial and municipal governments for their support um and the mistake they made was they had the premier speak first so before everyone else had had a chance to talk about how great the provincial government had been in making this work and they had been um, she got up first and it, it wasn't a very pleasant response that she got from the crowd in fact I think she started her speech by saying well hopefully you'll like the show more than you like me um, <laughs> yeesh, and that should have been that should have been actually a big triumph for the UCP government but uh-huh. they they just kind of blew it in the execution and Minister Schweitzer was sitting just down from where I was sitting And they were actually very gracious. The premier was gracious and others were gracious in thanking him for the work he did in creating the Alberta Film Tax Credit. Now, the funny thing about that is that this thing was something that we had been lobbying for, those of us who've been working in the industry have been lobbying for, for many, many years. Couldn't get it through a PC government, couldn't get it through an NDP government. Uh, We're able to finally get it through the UCP government. Didn't really cost anything, but it's just a tax credit. On work that wouldn't otherwise be done, and um, so it really just took a signature, and it was amazing what it unlocked. Now it's actually the biggest problem we have in Calgary for movie and film is we don't have enough people or enough space, um, and that's very very different than just five years ago. So this should have been a huge triumph for the UCP, and you know they they didn't land. Um, which is, I think, something that we see commonly in the Smith government, which is too bad because when they do good things, they should do a better job of actually landing them. That was yeah. a that was a good segue back into politics from your uh, very not political question, Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's
0: that I mean that that we we've, we've uh, Adam and I have been watching the the last of us. Um I think your point about it being uh you know having to work yourself up to watch it. I was really glad that they didn't just like put all the episodes online cuz I really don't think it's a binge-worthy show. I mean not binge-worthy as in I think like psychologically, I think it would probably do me damage if I watched all the episodes all at once. So it's good to have it, you know, it's you
2: could... both sad and scary, which are two things that I normally don't like.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but the yeah. acting is
2: brilliant and the the cinematography is so good, you know. I spent a lot of my time um pitching the film and TV industry uh when I was mayor. And one of the things I was always told is You know, yes, we want to come there because the sceneries are magnificent. Those are the things we pitch, right? You can do mountain and prairie and city and town all in the same day. And they all said, you know, I'd I'd be sitting around the pool with the Hollywood producers, as one does at a swanky cocktail party. Um, And they would say, yeah, you know, look, the sceneries are great, but lots of places have great scenery. What makes it worthwhile filming in Alberta? And by the way, Calgary accounts for more Emmy, Golden Globe, and Oscar nominations than any other jurisdiction in Canada. Because although we didn't have huge volume of work, we did really high quality work. And a lot of the really big directors, your Christopher Nolans and others, want to film in Calgary and and in Alberta more generally. Uh, But what they said was the thing that brings us there is the quality of the crews. The people who work behind the scenes in Alberta are top notch. And the problem is that we had created sort of a seasonal industry for those folks. They'd have to go to Vancouver or Toronto for part of the year just to, you know, put food on the table. And I'm really excited that we're actually creating good, decent jobs in the sector here in uh, Alberta. You know, in the lower mainland in BC, that industry accounts for over 100,000 full-time jobs. And so there's real, and, and you know, I've spent a lot of time in LA and it's, you, you think of Hollywood, but just think of the jobs that are Uh, part of that. So it's a good part of our economic diversification play. And I hope that we're able to continue with it. Do
0: do you foresee uh, like future big productions coming to Calgary, like off the success of The Last of Us?
2: The funny thing is, we've never had problems with big productions. Hmm. You know, there's always one or two kind of big shows filming in Calgary at any given time. What we're having problem with is the is the the volume stuff. So you know, network series, for example, that they're kind of a year of work every week. Hallmark movies, things like that, which are really you know in this in this day and age, there's more content being made than ever before. And so latching onto some of that is what's really useful. Like so, for example, I was really excited to see Fraggle Rock, uh, filming here in Calgary because no sceneries, right? That was mm-hmm. entirely based on the quality of the people they could get. Most people don't know that Calgary is like a world center of excellence in puppetry of all things. Holy cow. That's great. The, That's great. We have the International Festival of Animated Objects here, which brings it the best puppeteers in the world. And, you know, so that was just an example of that kind of ongoing work where the quality of our people can get quality jobs here. So I'm hoping that there'll be a lot more of that. And I suspect there will be a lot more of that. You know, when I when I met with the producers of The Last of Us before they decided to come here. You know, they were saying that they sensed in Calgary a lot like what they felt in Northern Ireland when they started filming um, Game of Thrones there. And the Northern Ireland music uh, movie industry has gotten really big since Game of Thrones. And I actually cut the guy off, and I said, "No, you're you're actually making a mistake because you started the industry in Northern Ireland. The industry's already here. You are an accelerant uh, for our industry. So, anyway, it worked. They came." And I really do think they'll be able to accelerate a lot. I'm just hoping that the second season will be filmed here, too, knock on wood.
1: Yeah. Speaking of clever segues, you mentioned The Last of Us being both sad and scary. Would you describe the state of Alberta politics in similar terms?
2: <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, I am eternally optimistic. Um, I try to live my life in gratitude, and I try to be even-handed as much as I can. But that said, uh, no one who has heard me speak in the last year or two will be surprised um, to know that I believe that we have squandered a lot in the last year or two. Uh, I think that Albertans will forgive a lot of things with a conservative government. What they won't forgive is incompetence. And I thought that the last government was particularly incompetent, squandering money. Um, I would say I think they were naive. They would believe any story anybody came in and gave them. So the investment in Keystone XL, for example. But probably my, my favorite example on that is the green line here in Calgary. We were pretty much ready to go um, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And someone came in and convinced the Premier and the Cabinet that they could do it faster and cheaper. They couldn't. Uh, And what ended up happening was we ended up being forced to go through a procurement process that will inevitably lead to higher costs. For sure it will. Uh, And we had to sit through all the crazy inflation that we've seen happening. We could have locked in prices before all of this, had the provincial government not been so naive in thinking that all the professionals who'd already done all the work were not as smart as the one guy who showed up with his uh, briefcase of snake oil in the premier's office. And that happened over and over and over again in the previous government. And so I was hopeful that the new leadership in the new government would be less naive and more competent. I probably don't need to say too much more about that. <laughs> Because, of course, in the last few months, I mean, isn't it every Thursday that the Premier has to walk back what she said on Monday? And it, I can see how Albertans are getting frustrated with that. Not showing up in the polls. Maybe it won't show up in the polls. Um, but certainly the conversation on the street is one of enormous frustration. You know, I spoke with um, a group of people in Edmonton, but from all over rural northern and eastern Alberta uh, last week. And I was kind of being very careful about what I was saying. Uh, and then I realized, oh, no, I do not have to be careful about what I'm saying with these folks, um, because they're feeling it in their own small communities as well. And while there may be short-term gain to their communities from what the UCP is presenting, they see the long-term risk as well. So in, in terms of, I mean, you talked
0: about the, I mean, you talked about the, the, the you know whether 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 the mistakes or the backtracks that the premier is making is, is resonating with Albertans, whether Albertans are, are are you know whether it's going to impact them in the next election. You talked about the green line, the green line in Calgary, which is the major new transit line going through or supposed to go going to go through. Um, do you you have a unique vantage point as the former mayor of Calgary um, into Alberta's largest city? Do you think like do you think these issues are resonating with with Calgarians or do you think the are, are there issues what, what's on Calgarians minds going into the next election Oh well,
2: same as everyone else people are worried about affordability they're worried about inflation they're worried about uh, what the future of Alberta looks like they couldn't care less about your fight with Prime Minister Trudeau I don't think that's not something I hear very often they certainly don't want to relegate, relitigate covid and so those are the sorts of things that I'm hearing. But what I'm also hearing is there's a double you know, issue. Things are doing better in Calgary. So I had a lunch uh, in downtown Calgary last week and I had trouble finding parking, which sounds like a silly thing. But, whoa, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually and the restaurants were full, full, full over the lunch hour on Stephen Avenue. And that actually means that life is coming back to downtown Calgary. Still lots of issues of social disorder. still lots of other things going on, but life was really coming back. And so, you know, the rule that we often have in politics is if things are good, you reelect your government. And so because although people are very nervous, you know, Danielle Smith can't use Pierre Polyev's line. Everything feels broken right now because, well, who broke it? And so this is going to be challenging for her because she is really fighting like everything's broken and I'm going to fix it all, but it's her government. And we'll have to see if she's capable going into the election of actually taking sort of the optimistic view. Uh, Meanwhile, this puts the NDP, I think, in a really bizarre position because they can't really run on their own record they can run on Jason Kenny and Danielle Smith's record, but ultimately they have to give something, it's uh, sort of a cliche to say it, but they have to give people something to vote for. And I'm not sure that they've done that yet. And they need to be able to appeal to a broad swath of people to get there. And I'll, I'll push back on the conventional wisdom, by the way, that says the whole game is about Cal- Calgary. It is absolutely about Calgary, but it would be silly to think, oh, you know, we'll throw in an Olympic bid or a Commonwealth Games bid or we'll fully fund the green line and that'll be our game in Calgary. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be much, much more difficult than that. And Dave, actually, you put it in a really smart way, which is we're on the razor's edge, but it's the razor's edge between a very slim NDP majority and a very large UCP majority. Mm -hmm. And there's no large NDP majority in the cards. And I'm not sure whether that entire thing will be found only in Calgary. I always say there's 28 seats in Calgary. I think I was corrected that there's actually 26. I have to actually go back and count, but I'll go with the correction. Meaning that, and there's some of them that are very traditionally conservative. So back in 2010, and you know, I'm very middle of the road. People who are conservative think I'm left-wing. People who are left-wing think I'm right-wing. I'm pretty middle of the road. But in the 2017 election, there were two wards out of 14 that I did not win in Calgary. And when you kind of map out where those two wards are and the other ones where I was pretty close, you would see that there's probably, of the 26, five, six, seven. Uh, maybe 10 ridings in Calgary that you you can't see them going anything but UCP, just given the neighborhoods and the demographics and so on, particularly not without a split in the Mm -hmm. right-wing vote. NDP won 15 out of 26 in 2015. In order for them to win this election, they're going to have to win, I think, 19 or 20, if I'm doing my math right. So way more than they won in 2015 with no split in the vote. Yeah, that sounds hard to me. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the the and I think it'll be very close. It'll either be a very close election or it will not. How's that for prognostication? <laughs> it'll either be a very close election or it'll be a very large UCP majority because the swing of a couple of points in those Calgary seats will make a bunch of difference. But assuming that it's going to be a very close selection and we're looking at you 44 to win, 44 seats to win. So assuming we're looking at a game of 46-41 or something like that, um, it's going to be pretty damn close. Then the NDP also really need to be working hard on where are there one or two or five or seven pickups outside of Calgary and Edmonton. Mm -hmm. What does the region around Edmonton look like? What does Lethbridge look like? What is the work? Can you pick up the other seat in Lethbridge? What is the work in the mid-sized cities look like? Is there anything available to them there? Um, You know, are there kind of weird seats like Babcan and Ascus that in theory should be going UCP but have a terrible MLA and have slightly different demographics and maybe you could scoop? Mm -hmm. Are there more like that? And so I think that I'm sure that the folks in both parties' headquarters are thinking hard about those questions. But the electoral map is very, very tough for the NDP. The other interesting thing that I'm watching for in these polls and the polls, the regional breakdowns of the poll sample sizes are very small. So it's really hard to draw any conclusions like this last poll. I think it was Leger showed that the the NDP is ahead of the UCP, but behind in Calgary. Hmm. It doesn't actually make any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you'll draw the wrong conclusion from it. And but one thing I'm really watching for these poll- in these polls very carefully is the efficiency of the relative parties' votes. For a long time, the NDP was very inefficient because they were running up the tables in Edmonton and being slightly behind in the other places, which is what this most recent Leger poll showed. I think it showed 62% for the NDP in Edmonton. But the last series of polls, other than this one, from kind of Danielle Smith taking over till today has actually showed the UCP's vote is very inefficient, oh. that they are actually running up the table in rural Alberta and really behind in Edmonton and, and, and behind in Calgary. So that's the real question, um, is what's happening sub-sub regionally and what's the real story on the ground in Calgary? And I'll remind you both that the story of the last several elections has been incredibly low voter turnout. You know, I think in Ontario in their provincial election, it was 30-ish percent voter turnout. So the game of voter turnout is going to be very important here as well. Uh, And I don't know which of the parties will be able to turn out their vote better.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting what you say about efficiency because I know um, Philippe Fournier and um, Eric Grenier had a bet with, uh, from 338 and from the writ. Uh, websites, po- uh, Substacks, podcasts uh, have had a bit of back and forth going on about disagree, a, a bit of a d- disagreement about how efficient the NDP vote was. One of them taking the position that it was more efficient than conventional wisdom would assume, as 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 you um, as as you argued. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it it is interesting to see, interesting to see where those votes are. Um, one of the things about things about even, Cal- even
2: within Calgary, yeah, right. And- like I live in northeast Calgary which is a completely different political game um, than the rest of the province and conventional wisdom up here in Northeast Calgary is the NDP is just going to run the table Mm -hmm. that the folks up here are real sick of the UCP. Um, And you'll see that Rajan Sani is not running again in her riding in Calgary Northeast. So that's the conventional wisdom up here, but it comes back to this question of, of efficiency. If they run the table in Northeast Calgary with really, really high numbers, How are they doing in the rest of the city? It's only six seats in Northeast Calgary.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to say nothing of the rest of the province, one of the sort of anecdotes I've heard from folks in my circle now, again, these are, these are people in Edmonton, but, but folks in Edmonton who should be enthusiastic about the NDP because of something you said earlier, Nahed, which is there, it's like a level of enthusiasm or engagement with the NDP's message. A bunch of folks I know have told me they're getting too much negativity from the NDP. So, on channels where they used to follow the NDP, they've muted them. And that is, that to me was like a scary message. And it's not going to be a surprise to anyone here that I'm an NDP supporter. But, you know, when you hear folks tuning out because they haven't landed their message yet, a message of hope and positivity. How do you react to that? Like that scares the hell out of me. I don't know about you.
2: Well, you know, um I am uh, again, very nonpartisan in all of this. I'll probably end up looking at my local candidate and making a decision. And I know both local candidates in my riding pretty well. But just as an observer, I would argue that, wow, well, Danielle Smith is really stupid and crazy is only going to get you so far. Mm -hmm. And what the NDP have to be able to do is they really have to be able to show what they stand for. They have to directly address the knocks against them and against the 2015-19 to government and really act with enormous humility. Now, this goes against most political adages. Most political adages say you never repeat the criticism against you. Um, And, you know, because anytime you say your opponent's name, you're defining them. I think there's something else here. And I think it really hinges on who we see as Rachel Notley. You know, early on, the NDP were running with a campaign that said better off with Rachel which was effective with a lot of folks, but not particularly effective with folks who lost their jobs 15 to 19. And it may not have been the provincial government's fault. Energy prices happened to crater, you know, at that moment. It was very difficult to run the city um, when our income completely changed. But how can Rachel Notley convince Albertans that they'd be better off with her going forward? And... I think as well, the NDP needs to focus on their team a little bit more. I think they've been tempted because Rachel Notley is running ahead of her party. So they've been tempted to focus only on her. But I think Albertans need to see that the team is made up of folks who aren't just kind of the woke mob. But people who know what they're doing.
0: Now, not if you can hear us, you've your, your sound and your images have frozen.
2: Hello. Sorry, I lost you there. What I the, the, my my last thought there was that the NDP needs to come up with a really good and saleable economic plan. We've heard very little from them in terms of their fiscal policies, uh, in terms of their economic policies. Are they going to pay off debt first? Are they going to put money into the Heritage Trust Fund? Are they going to invest in infrastructure? I haven't heard anything about this. So I think one area where, and maybe this is just my own bias speaking. But I think one area where the NDP would be would do well would be if they published a big thick policy book with, you know, Todd Hirsch, the former chief economist over to Treasury Branches, is on their team, and if they had a Todd Hirsch costed um, economic plan in shadow budgets and really tried to get to those pocketbook finance issues. I think we'd be we'd be interested because all we hear from them is bad things about the UCP and then a whole bunch of promises kind of in a vacuum. We'll build a South Edmonton hospital. We'll focus on cancer care and so on and so on. But I have not heard maybe I haven't been paying enough attention. I have not heard, you know, a solid wrapped together policy. And next week, the government of Alberta will get to deliver their budget. So they will have the solid wrapped up policy and i think the ndp needs to be there so that people understand what they stand for not just not ucp
0: mm-hmm. and and on on that point and you mentioned the budget next week uh i mean the government is expected to unveil a massive surplus due to mm-hmm. oil and gas royalties with the the royalty holiday being lifted on some of the big capital projects up north um you know so i've heard 13 billion dollar surplus per he-
2: Perhaps even much larger than that. I think it'll actually be smaller. That's yeah. ma- that's my guess. You think so? Uh well, their original forecasts uh were based on oil being priced much higher than it is today. Mm-hmm. So unless they were lowballing their previous forecasts, I think they'll probably have trouble getting to 10 billion, but that's still a big that's, number. it's still a lot of money and it and it's something that I think I mean,
0: a, a lot of Albertans uh I mean I I, I talk been talking to a lot of people about this about how there seems to be a real lack of I don't know, lack of vision a lack of um uh optimism about what alberta can be in the future and you know this i mean we have these conversations every every 10 years or so and the price of oil goes up and it goes down when the price of oil goes down we say well we should have done all this stuff when we had all these massive royalties when the, when we get all these big royalties we say oh well, we can't be too risky because we don't want to risk the good time to do these these big things but I think that I mean I think there is an opportunity for you know for the for the NDP to to talk about an, an economic message like you said or not even just the NDP but other parties as well and even even for the UCP to present something that that is a, a vision of Alberta I think Jason Kenney on his way out did a little bit of that when he when he, when he he was directing uh, surplus funding. They passed legislation to direct surplus funding. into they, they, the Did they pass the
2: legislation Fund. to do that? I,
0: I, well, I, yeah. I don't know if it was legislation, but it might, it might have been legislation. I think they passed it and then they undid it when Daniel Smith became premier. So,
2: um, I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, many, many booms ago, even before I was mayor, I still remember I wrote a piece uh, for the Calgary Herald, in which i talked about what happens when you win the lottery and if you win the lottery the smartest things you can do are number one fix the roof number two pay off your mortgage number three save the most of it and number four blow some on something to make your life better because you don't do that you'll be miserable and really similar arguments can be made For what to do with this windfall. And that was true five booms ago when I wrote it. And it's probably still true today. You know, fix the roof. So, in other words, fix crumbling infrastructure, um, invest in new infrastructure. And note I'm saying capital projects, one time spending, not annual spending. Mm -hmm. You start through, you spend all the money on giving the nurses a raise. Sorry, Dave, you're going to get yourself in big trouble but you should spend the money on some stuff. You should save most of it, pay off what debt you can. Now keep in mind that most of that debt was incurred at very, very low interest rates and it's fixed rate debt. So actually paying it off immediately is not very smart. You'll pay penalties and so on, but setting it aside to pay off debt while earning investment income is not a bad idea. Um, And then also, make sure that Albertans are participating in the wealth of the community. And so you actually feel like we live in a rich place. And, you know, years and years and years ago, when people seemed to be a lot more um, generous, one of the things I said is that there's a wonderful nonprofit here in Calgary called the Center for Affordable Water and Sanitation Technology, or COST. And cost has a very low cost way of bringing clean drinking water to people in developing countries. So back in like 2005, 2007, I was saying, can you imagine if every village in sub-Saharan Africa had a pump that said brought to you with gratitude for our good luck by the people of Alberta and what kind of impact that would have on our image in the world and what we would be able to think of ourselves. So nowadays, I don't think you could get away with spending money on people not here. But could you use some of that money to make a commitment to being the first jurisdiction in the Western world to end chronic homelessness? For example, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually quite bullish, although they, again, can't hit the landing. I'm quite bullish in the work that the UCP is doing on recovery and addiction. You know, they have the chance to create something really good for the world here. Again, they're, they're messing up the landing and making it all about how smart they are and how dumb other people are, instead of just doing the work. But um, there are opportunities to do something very special with that wealth that isn't going to screw you over when the inevitable bust comes. Because you got to do that at the same time that you're restructuring your budgets and making sure that you can pay as you go, that you can afford Um, The operational aspects of what we're doing so remains to be seen what will be in the budget I find it very odd that cabinet ministers are out there Leaking pieces of the budget. I've never seen that before Um, But I guess they're trying to stretch out the good news stories as much as they can You know, like, you know when we think about addiction and recovery, you know They go on and on about how they're focused on recovery and treatment and not on as much on harm reduction as they are in DC And good for them. Good for them. There was a period during Jason Kenney's premiership where if you were someone who presented yourself and said, I'm ready to get better, there would be a funded treatment bed for you that day. We wouldn't say come back in seven weeks. That had never happened before. Or you have to pay yourself or find insurance or what, find friends to pay. So that was really impressive. But now they go on and on and on about it. But, you know, PC has like two and a half times as many treatment beds as Alberta does. And yet we talk about how we're just focused on treatment because we're exporting people to PC. So it's really important that they, the UCP as well, have given lots of advice for the NDP. My advice for the UCP is the same. Be humble. You've gotten rid of the various mats on social media, except for Rob Anderson. <laughs> um, but be humble. Um, talk about how we are lucky to be in the position we are in. And here's how you're going to fix it for future generations. And I haven't heard any of that from them either. So, I think that both of the parties are kind of missing where people's heads are at right now, which is worried and nervous, but also grateful to live here.
0: That's some excellent advice. Um, I have one. I have one more question for you um, before before we let you go. We've, you've been extremely generous with your time here today. Um, you during your time as mayor. You, I think you, you, you saw three provincial elections during six your time as Six premiers. I was going to say many, many changes in leadership.
2: Six premiers. Six
0: premiers. Um,
2: and uh, I want to say one hundred and seventy-four ministers of municipal affairs.
0: Yes, the the rotating door, the the biggest rotating door in cabinet is the yeah. I think meeting. I
2: think it was actually fourteen.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, which which is impressive. Wow. I mean, I bet I bet you barely had a chance to meet them before they were replaced in some cases. Um, Yeah. So what 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 advice what what one piece of advice would you give to municipal leaders today to help them navigate through the type of change that we might see going into the provincial election and potentially after the provincial election if we have a change in government or even not even just a change in parties but a change in leadership?
2: Well, number one is very uh, very cutthroat, which is take advantage of the political instability and get stuff in writing. Um, You know, it always surprised me in the 2019 election. They weren't going to win anyway. But the NDP had a plan, they actually had a plan, to complete the Green Line. And when you say complete the Green Line, part of it went through some of those ridings that are probably conservative forever, but a huge chunk of it went through ridings that were NDP ridings and are now UCP ridings. They never talked about it during the campaign. They never actually said we're going to finish it all the way to from Stony Trail to Stony Trail, ring road to ring road. And I always thought that was so bizarre. So there's an opportunity now for folks to, especially in Calgary to really extract promises from both sides and, you know, play the little game of, well, are you going to match them? Um, So that's a bit cutthroat that really has to happen. But I think also, um, Ms. Smith has done a couple of odd things. The Premier, I should say, has done a couple of odd things, which is she's done some stuff that could really hurt municipalities in the long run. So the Sovereignty Act, for example, which I don't think we'll ever talk about ever again and will never be enacted, but it's got a piece in it that actually says that municipalities have to break federal laws. Um. They took the power. No one noticed just before Christmas. They took the power to appoint up to 50% of local police commissions. So they've done some real bad stuff as it pertains to municipalities. And I think really fighting back on those things going into the election and beyond is really important. So if I can get very esoteric for a moment. Do nerds listen to the podcast, Dave? I think they do.
0: The majority of our listenership is are nerds, yes.
2: <laughs> so, for years and years and years and years, I have been looking for the test case that will cause the Supreme Court of Canada eventually to read municipal government rights into the Constitution. Because right now, as you know, the Canadian Constitution doesn't contemplate municipalities. We are just um, creations of the provincial governments, so they can do whatever they want with us when Premier Ford changed the size of the Toronto City Council in the middle of an election. I thought that could have been the test case. Um, And in fact, Premier Ford was upheld on a five to four vote at the Supreme Court. It was very close. And so this thing in the Sovereignty Act might actually be that test case. So, you know, Premier Smith may have inadvertently created something that will change the positioning of municipal governments in Canada forever. I'm sure they didn't think about that. I don't think that was primary in Rob Anderson's mind as they were drafting the legislation, but it's a very, very interesting place to go. So I would encourage municipalities and I don't like giving them advice because I'm gone. I don't do that anymore, (laughs) but I I would encourage them to take a very aggressive legal stand on some of this stuff. You know, you'll probably lose. But you'll never know unless you try.
0: Mm-hmm. That's super. That is that is really interesting, and it's something that I'm definitely going to keep gonna keep an eye on. Now that you mentioned, now that you brought it up, and I'm sure, <clears throat> pardon me, many of our listeners will will keep uh, keep an eye on as well. Um, Who it would it would be the making municipalities more sovereign within the United Alberta Act, right? <laughs> the...
2: Well, I've already passed the <laughs> Coral Springs Sovereignty Act for the neighborhood that I live in. I got the uh, community Mr. association Mr. to agree with me, so Mr.
0: President, Mr. Yeah,
2: so basically, uh, actually, it's funny because the guy who's like the most eager volunteer on my community association board was a city councillor. Um, but um, you know, so basically, no laws enacted by the government of Alberta or the city of Calgary apply in Coral Springs unless we want them to.
0: <laughs> I, I I wish you good luck with that
2: i think it's going to be awesome (laughs) except we just had a bunch of snow on the day we're recording this so we still need them to actually come in with the plows so
1: right yeah yeah that makes sense
2: and by the way we did we did the contest to name the snow plows in calgary long before edmonton did theirs (laughs) but i'm still deeply 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 jealous Edmondson has a snowplow called Amersleith Snowbee. <laughs> <laughs> was
1: there, was there an, I uh, had an Enchi equivalent when you guys did your contest?
2: No, but there should have been.
1: Oh, I think that's well, something for the, the, the Dave Berta listeners to take up.
0: Yeah. The, the next time Calgary has an open contest, we're going to make sure you, your, uh, your snowplow name gets on, uh, gets on that list and we'll get you the votes.
2: <laughs> I love it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. Former Mayor of Calgary, Nahid Nanshi, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for sharing your your thoughts, your wisdom uh, with our listeners. Um, you had uh, a lot of great points, a lot of great uh, a lot of great thoughts to share, and we really appreciate being able to chat with you here today.
2: Such as it is, wisdom. Uh, also, uh, being hit by inflation, you're getting a lot less for it for what you're paying for. <laughs> thank oh. you so much. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very. Thank you very much.
0: And thank you to everyone who listened and subscribed to the Dave Berta podcast this week. Uh, a huge thanks to our producer, the handsome, the wonderful Adam Rosenhart. Thank you so much. Adam makes is the reason why the podcast sounds so good. It, if, if we didn't have Adam, it would just be me talking to my computer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Send us your, your feedback on Twitter or Instagram at, at Dave Berta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page. And if you're interested in supporting what we do here and on the Dave Berta Substack, please consider uh, joining the legions of, uh, of supporters in our paid subscriptions. Um, we, uh, we appreciate uh, every every uh, well everything you, anything you can contribute and, and your support, whether it's just reading or signing up as a paid subscriber or listening. Um, thanks for listening. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks.